Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. And when it comes to esports, I am not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The podcast is designed to talk to esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to hear how esports can create jobs and to maybe inspire others to do just that. It's the season two, we're talking to people about sponsorship. We're talking about media rights. We're talking about investment and other areas to show how uh, esports entrepreneurs can raise money, how can generate revenue because it takes money to create these jobs. We call this season Follow the Money. And today, I'm really happy to have two guests here, Nick Smith and Roman Tixier, co-founders of Gosu Rabbit. Gosu Rabbit is a next-gen marketing agency. Welcome, Nick. Where are you speaking from? Uh, thanks for having me today, Tom. I- I'm in London in the UK. Got it. No, I've, I was noticing that um, on LinkedIn, you were posting some really interesting things about practical tips on how to get a job in the esports business. And I think it's, some of that just was really, really good. So, um, so uh, it, it, you're talking about the same thing that we're talking about here. So, and uh, Roman, welcome. Thank you very much. Well, from my end, I'm based in Lyon, France. Okay, so, where is uh, Gosu Rabbit based? UK. It's a UK company based in London. Got it. Got it. So, you, you both have really good backgrounds. You, have, you, you guys have a lot of experience in esports. I mean, especially combined out there. And so one of the things I want to uh, ask about first is what got you into esports and gaming and uh, gaming and esports in particular? We'll start with you, Roman. Well, on my end, I've been a gamer forever, a PC gamer, because my father was working in the computer industry in the late 80s, early 90s. And I've been playing since forever. But I really fell in love with a game called Half-Life in 1998 that also had a mod created on that game one year later called Counter-Strike. And since then, I've been playing online uh, at the competitive level during five to six years until uh, 2006. Uh, And even now, when I have time to play, and it's uh, multiplayer games with PvP, so player versus player component. I I prefer winning, so that's really how I involved in uh, gaming as a whole, and more especially in esports. I was I discovered esports since the very beginning of it with the first uh, electronic world cup, world cup qualifiers, the World Cyber Games qualifiers by Samsung, 
like uh, yeah it was a long time ago can you talk just to just briefly about you were a player so you were a competitor yeah what what made you shift and how did you shift how did you do it to go from a player to be on the business side so i always been also interested by business as a whole and my dad being an entrepreneur i think i've got I, I I don't think it's genetic, but we could say it's genetic. And if you've seen my dad, you would say, well, you look like so, so much. <laughs> it might be genetic. Uh, the thing is, I I always, always wanted to tra- to transform esports into a business because the business itself was always appealing to me. And uh, outside gaming, I was also passionate by uh, creating events. I had... Um, a small org with some of my friends, a non-profit org organizing parties uh, in, uh, in in clubs. And and I wanted to combine those two universes, the event uh, slash business with the esports. And at some point, I was also pretty good at school. And it would have been unfortunate for me not to do uh, very long studies. And my dad kind of pushed me uh, in that direction and I remember him one night going downstairs, me playing World of Warcraft and he said, well, can you stop what you're doing? We need to talk. And he told me, well, you're playing video games, amazing, cool for you, but you need to, tr- to transform it into something that will help you make a living from it. And that's where I decided to join a, a French business school and to do a, 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 an executive MBA in marketing to combine my two passions. And that's also where I kind of stopped being a competitive player because I was focused on my studies. And I also, I kept involved in the sport industry by becoming the marketing manager and then the team owner of the, the team I was playing with uh, instead of being just a player. And since then, I've worked in this environment for more than 20 years now. Okay. now that's, <clears throat> so many times we hear, you know, <clears throat> people's parents being involved in it, in uh, in their decision. But it, you're, in your situation, it's not like it was a very positive one. So yeah. Nick, what, what, what was your beginning in gaming and esports? Yeah, I, I'd say it's pretty similar to Roman and, and probably a lot of other people in the industry, whereby from a very, very young age, I've been playing games. Uh, so for me, it was back in the days of the original NES, the Game Boy original one commodore 64 amiga and so on where they were the big uh gaming i suppose consoles or, or methods of play of course arcade games and i just really go into it when i was a kid and would get really excited when uh new consoles new games would come out and that just kind of developed up until i went to uni and then that's when the internet started kind of taking off yeah that's that's how old i am and uh and uh, and so when that started happening, I started playing a game called Age of Empires 2. And there were certain mods of that map that I really enjoyed. I got in some of the, the, the biggest clans there and uh, really, really enjoyed doing the, the PvP online, um, playing competitively against really good players, uh, better. And then from there, got into CS Source, so Counter-Strike Source. Um, I started playing that at a pretty high level in the UK scene. Um, you know, going to training, playing multiple hours every day, and 
when that came to an end, went to Left 4 Dead, which is another popular game. Uh, played that competitively, which some people are a bit surprised about, but again, was in one of the top clans in, in Europe there. And eventually went to League of Legends, uh, which was one of the top, uh, well, still is one of the top tier esports games out there. And realized I was very, very bad at MOBA games, but I loved League of Legends and uh, started moving towards more the coaching and management side and uh, started going down that angle. I saw how, I suppose, like the wild, wild west esports is as a whole. Uh, A lot of promises made, not really kept. So I decided to create my own organization with three foundational pillars of um, structure and integrity and professionalism and this is how we wanted to instill that philosophy into our players our coaches our managers and so on um and yeah so that's really how i got involved in it and kind of progressed along that line that's interesting both of you came from a um, competitive background which uh it has to be just such a great training for the uh for the industry So, and Nick, talking about Gosu Rabbit, can you tell us about uh, your marketing agency? What it is that you're um, you're doing there? Oh, first, I have to ask, where did the name come from? <laughs> That's a great question. So, uh, neither one of you look Korean. No, no, uh, I'm half Japanese, so kind of along that line. But uh, in, in terms of the name, so back about like two or three decades ago. Um, StarCraft was a very, very popular game in Korea. I mean, it was on national TV and so on. And the players that got to a very high level, you know, were winning lots of tournaments, beating everybody, they would call them Gosu, as in like the best, the master, and so on. So that's where that part comes from. And rabbits, because rabbits are cool, of course. <laughs> got it, got it. I knew there was, a, there was a bit of a story there, yeah. I always like things that are rabbit or monkey or something like that, I mean. To, uh, I, I can also add some pieces why the rabbit, well, it's cool to want, when we were searching for naming ourselves, we wanted to use uh, an animal, and we came to the rabbit because that's, that's a kind of uh, something that was ticking to me, especially, because with a group of friends we, with whom I'm, I'm playing a lot for uh, the, last, the past 20 years, we created a group, a guild within a MMORPG, and we called that Rage Against the Lapines, and the Lapin, Lapin in French is um, the female rabbit, and because we loved the, the music group Rage Against the Machine, but we, want, we didn't want to use the name. So we, we created that group, and that was just a fun name because we, we found that name uh, in a party where we were drinking a bit, and uh, and... The thing is, when I left Millennium uh, in 2014 and joined Melty Group, which was a big media group in France that wanted to get involved in gaming and esports, when we created the Melty Esports Club, it, it happened that mascot of Melty was a rabbit. And that's something that is always following me. This rabbit is always there. So we've decided to go with the rabbit instead of anything else. Now, what, what is interesting there, right? We, we'll move on here. <laughs> but um, but what is, what's interesting is that um, it can mean different things in different cultures. It can mean something that, uh, more, it can have more value uh, 
in, in, in your culture, in, in French, let's, let's say, than it might have in, in English or in American. So, yeah, it, it, there's always, there's, but there's always a story behind each of these. So, Roman, can you explain what, what, um, what Ghost Rabbit does? If I want to be the most basic thing we do is we are a marketing agency, a 360 degrees marketing agency. So we, but what we aim for is helping brands reaching out to new generation using gaming and new medias uh, as a channel. Because gaming has become, gaming and esports has become so big. It's now a, a, a very interesting touch point to reach out to new generations. Because Nick, Nick, well, for Nick and me, our generation, I can say there was 60 or 70% of us being gamers. The generation before us, it was maybe 30% and before 10. But the new generation, it's 80% of them playing games. Girl or boys, um, no matter what was the gender, they, they all play video games and they tend to not to watch the TV as much as uh, we were or our grandparents did. And to reach out to them, it's, it could be very complicated for a brand. Or not, not only brands, but also any org that would like to get in touch with uh, these young people. And then we have multiple services. Uh, we use dip different verticals. So uh, activating gaming is not putting your brand in a game. It's uh, the whole gaming environment. So uh, influencers, social medias, uh, using memes from the industry. Um, it's it's the, using the gaming as a cultural thing and not gaming as putting a brand in a video game. But once again, if if tomorrow we speak to Coke, well, we, we, we won't put a, a can of Coca-Cola in a game that is taking place in the medieval period. That would be really odd. But we can put a can of Coke on the stream of an influencer playing that game. So that's really something different. Yes, yes. Although if you put Coke in, in the Middle Ages, it would stand out more. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's like yeah. But it will be weird because, because on the other end, I will, I will say gaming is kind of an art, even if it's not recognized as a full art yet. And yeah, it, it needs, it needs coherence when it comes to building some universe. Yes. Yes. And, and we don't want the brand to break the universe because it would, it would look yes, bad. It, yeah. For the brand and for the game. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing God of War, and it's like, yeah, I mean, the, it, there's there's not much brand you can stick in that uh, in that particular game. So, yeah. so Nick, Nick, um, how would you describe what um, Ghost of Rabbit does? Yeah, I'd describe it in a similar way. Uh, I'd probably add we also um, work with brands and, and companies. We also work with charities and governments as well, uh, not just in in terms of like. Um, a kind of activation point of view, but also in, in developing a, a strategy for them. So doing some consultancy work, research, making sure that they're positioned the right way. And, and the key thing to note, and, and this is what we hear quite a lot, is 
you know, when when we say that you know we we help brands in in gaming esports, they think, oh, what? So put us into a game, right? That's normally the first thing. Or the second thing is to to make it. You know, we're not a gaming company, so why why do we care? And it's it's about neither of those things, right? Putting a brand into a game is maybe a very very tiny portion of all the marketing activities you can do, and making a brand into a gaming company it also is not the idea it, it, it's mainly about um, relating them with that gaming audience you know finding the audience where they reside that's the key aspect of it and if the audience is playing lots of games then your brand should be communicating with that audience through those games or, or within gaming or within esports or within those different new media channels that there are like maybe web3 metaverse etc so it's it's about um making them or, or helping them to understand what this actually means and how they can do it putting together that strategy executing it to whatever outcome it is that they're looking for maybe is to establish themselves within the gaming community or or, or something else yeah Kind of expanding on that a little bit, when you're talking about brands bringing bringing brands to um, to esports to reach a, a certain demographic out there, can you talk in a little bit more detail on how that process works? Because a lot of times we're like, we hear people talk about, oh yeah, we bring ban- <laughs> I'm going to be able to say this here, we bring brands um, to um, to esports, but but it, it's there's, there's there's a whole lot to that. And maybe you can parse that out a little bit. For sure. So I, I think the first thing to uh, find out or understand is what does a brand mean by esports? Do they actually know? Are they just saying esports because it's a, it's the big hype word, and what they actually mean is gaming, or, or maybe even something else? And so we need to get down to you know, is esports even the right direction? And if it is then we need to understand more about why. You know, why, why do you want to do it? What are you looking to achieve from that? And, and you know, a load of questions along those lines, which is where uh, we would do a bit of consultancy for them to figure out um, you know, how they're positioned, wh- where they're looking to be positioned within the market, uh, putting together a strategy for them, and then looking to do an execution on that part. Um, I think how some brands do it which is not ideal so i don't know if this if i should be talking about this part but um uh how they yes, oh, you okay should. so um what isn't ideal is when we hear we want to test something and it's like okay um how how do you decide well you know we, we've just heard about esports and really big and we just want to test something and you know if you're not even thought about how what, you know, what you're looking to achieve from that or, or um, how you're going to move after that, then your test probably isn't going to work as well as you think it will or, or you think it might work. And you need to put a lot of the foundation in before you can really go to the activation part. You know, it, it's like with literally anything out there. If you want to drive, you need to learn how to drive first before you get in that car and start driving a Porsche around. And it's exactly the same philosophy here. You know, if you don't really understand what you're doing, then you shouldn't be really be spending money on just trying something and hope it works. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that because one of the things that I found in my career before 
before becoming a podcaster, working at, at places like Warner Brothers, working at Netflix. It's like the whole idea is to only test things that you will be able to do something with, with the results. Don't just test just for, for, for test's sake. And I can see it, it, it maybe Roman, maybe you, you have a, a, a perspective on this is how, how brands want to be involved in gaming because it's the flavor of the month. I think there is no um, one answer to that questions uh, to that question. How can can be we can have multiple ways of uh, answer that question. It, it could be by sponsoring a team. It could be by sponsoring an event. It could be by sponsoring an, a team and an event. It could be through an influencer marketing campaign. And our job on our end is like Nick said, to understand why are they interested into gaming or esports? Well, first of all, first of all, when they say esports or metaverse, are they actually talking about esports or metaverse, and aren't they only talking about gaming? The reason why is usually we want our product seen or our brand seen to uh, younger generations. Okay, but once we have that, we also need to answer the how and the how needs to be relevant with what they do, who they are, the brand, how they communicate about themselves. And it can really take multiple different... Um, it, it could be one small activation or multiple activations all uh, together. And it's also our job as a creative agency, not creative... Well, we have a, a, a graphic designer uh, who's able to do creatives, but we are, need also to be creative in terms of how we think about the activation. To give you an example, that's something that didn't happen, unfortunately, but we were in discussion with a company that is in charge of um, the docks uh, in the UK, and they, they wanted to recruit dockers. And you know those dockers, they can use um, big machinery, uh, and they use a joystick to pilot it. And to make it appealing, we came up with that idea of, but let's create a video game uh, that is require, requiring, so not, not a, a complicated one, but a Flash or uh, a HTML5 video game pushed on Facebook. People can participate. And every week, the highest score, uh, well, the, the, the highest score, if he's based in the UK, he gets to uh, uh, an interview to get a job into into that field because you already know he's um good enough with his hands uh he has he's skilled enough in that game so that it won't be an issue to train him uh driving those big machines uh, and that's how we try to answer um the question when a brand comes to us and say i would like to get involved in in gaming but i don't know how uh we could use the classic oh let's do a classic sponsorship but um our, our main issue for us on our end we, we think it, it's not enough and also what what happened in the past and could happen again is when some with some esports teams and org you give the check and once they have the check nothing happens because for them they need the money to exist as a team but they don't know how to execute and then be fair towards the brand and 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 give the service that should be in front of the money 
uh, they got. So that's also another kind of job we do when we organize a sponsorship between a team or an event and a brand. We come up with some creative ideas on how the team or the event can execute and can promote the brand or the product. And then we also uh, keep the relationship so that they execute on that. No, it's just like, yeah, handing over the money. Once you get the money, it's like, oh, yeah, the, the, the yeah. job's done. The job is, it's almost, yeah. it's, uh, a lot of times you hear people talk about, the job is getting the sponsorship. It's not executing yeah. on it. It's so, like, uh, the job is getting the investment, not performing to yeah. do it, uh, to to meet um, the objectives there. So, um, so maybe Nick, maybe you could talk a little bit about what is it on the other side? So you're talking about brands, but what about the on the esports entrepreneur side, the team, the the tournament organizer? What's the best way for them to get in front of a brand that's, that's wanting to spend some money in the in the in the space? I think that's a really good question, and um, I, I think that from what I've seen, it's that a lot of it's about being honest. I mean, just to be completely frank with you, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of presentations where, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, is it gaming or esports they're looking for where teams or, or tournament organizers or whatever it is, they conflate the numbers um, between gaming and esports to make it look bigger than it is and um, over-promising on, on what they're going to achieve for the brand. And I think... What ends up happening is when that happens and the brand gets disappointed, then they're less likely to come back or they're going to be a lot more cautious, right? And so that, that affects everybody. And so I think what, what people need to do is to start getting honest. You know, that there's no need to inflate the numbers. Um, brands understand that esports is still, is still young, right? You know, the, the, the infrastructure is barely there. I think it's only just been very, very recently that player associations have started cropping up. You know, it's a very fragmented and disjointed industry at the moment. You know, different games, publishers owning games, you know, difficulties with media rights and so on and so forth. And so I, I think that if you come at it from a point of view of instead of let's do this activation or, or let's just do this event and, and try and bring in the money to, just so we can have it so we can keep going for the next you know month or two months or three months, um, you know, work with the brand to be like, look, this is new, but why, why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, not be a pioneer, but be a first to market for your industry in esports and let's build it together? And I think those are the ones where you see more success. Um, if, if you look out there, where it's like multiple years worth of sponsorship, where you can see from you know the difference between year one and year X, the difference of that, what that sponsorship looks like and how it's developed. Um, rather than just going from zero to 100 day one and then promising all these things to the brand. I, I think that just is is not good. And I think a lot of these brands are getting very cautious about that and very wary about it. I would add also, just remember when a brand is giving you money, it's because they want to be seen. So because... I went through hundreds of esport org deck saying, "Hey, we are the best in France. 
on that game and we won that tournament and that tournament and that tournament. The brand doesn't care. The brand care, cares about how much time your jersey or your website or your social medias have been seen. So they would rather go for the third best team because they have a million rich than going to you who's winning everything but reaching nobody because you don't have, even have social media. And, and that's a mindset people need to get into. And that's why we're talking about jobs in the industry. We need more marketing people in the esports field or go through an agency to sell your services because the agency will do the job. Because sometimes, yes, we are proud of, of our results, but the brand is not buying results. The brand is buying... But I think from a practical point of view as well, like what they can do is start from the beginning. You know, why do you want to get into esports? What are you looking to? You know, some of these questions we mentioned earlier. Find out what what is it from the brand side they're looking to do? Because sometimes they'll just be like, well, you know, we want to we want to try it out and we want to kind of try out, grow, and and establish ourselves. And you know, then you can look at longer term timeframes. You don't have to go immediately for the okay, let's do an event, you know, next month or in a couple of months. Um, it's more about okay, let's let's figure out how we can approach it from you. Make sure you know we match your tone of voice. Make sure we we stick to your your brand guidelines and, and all these aspects you need to consider to do it properly and credibly, rather than going right. Here's an event. We'll just slap their their name on this event and away we go. What, what's what, what's the craziest combination that you've been aware of? Maybe you were participant in, or maybe you um, maybe you were just just uh, Observer of the craziest combination of, of esports, not gaming, but esports and a brand. Craziest combination, or, or the, the most amazing, the one that you that you were like the, the most. Uh, it's like wow, look at that. In, Intel and ESL with the the creation of the Intel Extreme Masters. It's wow, not only because it's big in terms of amount. But it's wow because it's been 15 years, something yes. like that. Uh, they organize crazy events and Intel has stick to it for so long and it's, it's keeping improved in terms of production, quality of the event, viewership, everything. And I, I can, I don't know how much responsibility, if I can, so how much impact this has on Intel position regarding uh, the war between Intel and AMD for computers' uh, TPUs, but I think it it has an impact that is quite big on the fact that Intel is way, way, way more renowned than AMD when it comes to CPUs, even if they are more expensive. And sometimes in in terms of performance, they are not that different, but Intel is there on top and AMD comes second every time. And uh, yeah, I would say for me, that's the wow, not wow on the execution, but wow Consistency. for many different reasons. And, and building yeah. and, and iterating. You're talking a little bit here, going to, starting to talk about marketing and how to, um, how to get seen, how to get heard, how to get people talking about you. So, for an esports organization, let's say if you're a team or maybe an event, 
out there. What's what are some of the ways that you can get people to be talking about you? Uh, well, I, I think um, <clears throat> social media, of course, um, is a great one, and I think most teams now are, are seen as a, a key channel for them. Uh, creating uh, community discords for their team, where you can have, you know, if you've got multiple different teams and different games, you can have separate sections, so you could kind of segment the audience a little bit. And I, I think what you see from the top tier teams now is a diversification, you know, not just within having their esports teams but diversifying into other areas where they can add value to their proposals or propositions to to their clients and potential clients so uh, you look at the top teams now they've got arms for um, like influencers and content creators uh, they now create events for for brands and sponsors they create content in-house um, maybe for youtube or or yeah, there's there's so many different avenues now that they're looking at, and I think for a lot of orgs or tournament organizers who are just starting out, yep, start with the social media definitely for sure. Start getting your name out there, but you also want to be looking at you know how can you leverage what you build. Like if you build a community of five or ten thousand people on Discord, yeah, that that's people who have engaged with you and and want updates and want to know about you and, and your company and what you're doing. Um, why not see how you can leverage that further and expand to other ways to uh, generate revenue or, or strengthen your proposals rather than having to go to a brand and say, yeah, our, our main value is that our team has come you know, second place in this tournament or you know, we, we might win this future tournament. Um, it's about adding that extra value and, and building those pillars there. And Roman, what about from your perspective? How, how do people well, get, because the audience is going to be interested in, so, you know, how, how can yeah. I get seen out there? Which is, which is so, a, a, a tough, short, um, short answer question. Nick talked, yeah, Nick talked about more of the, on the technical side. I would say esports is not different than any, any other sports. Why people are watching more the Premier League? Than the league are in France, or why do people are watching more the the actual World Cup, and they are less watching the qualifiers because you get the best team, the best players, and the best influencers. So it's all about you as a team. You need to win so that people will talk about you. Winning. But it's not only winning, because if you only win, but you don't communicate on social media and you don't have a community uh, building activations around that, you will win for nothing. So you need your players to uh, show up, to speak to journalists, to speak to, to speak for themselves on social media, and you need to, co- to, to, to create content around that victory. And for an event, you need to invite the best teams or to uh, to partner with influencers. Uh, I, I, just, because there are two things that there are, there are two things that will generate viewership and and people talking about you. Either a match between the two best teams in the world will want to look at it because of the skill and because it's a show of amazing people playing amazingly, or you want to see a fun game with influencers you love. And 
to 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 give an example, uh, before the World Cup starts, a French influencer called Amin organized a football match between French influencers and Spanish influencers in a in a stadium in Paris, and they um, broke the the live CC viewers um, record for for the French markets. Uh, for these events with 1.2 million people watching the live at the same time. Because it was influences, gaming influences, followed by hundreds of thousands of people playing a game. So the, the football level wasn't at, at its best, but it was appealing for the viewers because it's, it was influences. And the only other kind of Football match that can get that kind of viewership is a professional football team against another professional because they are the best and you watch it because they are the best. So, yeah, for me, it's really a combination of that things. Either for an event or a team, you need content creators with a followership and best teams and a, a very nice production. And network like hell. Like if you can network a lot, get to know yep. the right people, uh, they can who are influential, then they can sometimes help you out as well. Uh, I want to say in terms of the whole um, getting players to to be influencers, right? Sometimes that can be quite tricky. I know that from, from first-hand experience. Uh, I had uh, various parts, you know, I had League of Legends teams that were just winning a lot of tournaments and uh, we weren't getting traction from the sponsorship part because they didn't have social media. So I had to get all the players to create social media accounts and start posting. And they weren't all very um, natural at, uh, at being social media gurus. You know, and, and this is the thing you'll find sometimes is some players, they love that part. And so they'll become quite big on that aspect, but then their game might fall off a bit. And then sometimes you get the opposite. People who are just really focused on playing, they don't care about anything else. They just want to play. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get that balance right because you need both, right? Like Roman said, you need people to win, but you also want the visibility. And so it, it can be a bit of a dilemma, which is why having getting an influencer team separately, uh, just bringing content creators and so on can um, fix that, that, that challenge. Now, it, and there is one danger. One of your players becomes bigger than the structure itself because he's becoming a huge influencer, but the team has not grown as fast as the player, then it becomes impossible to keep the player within the structure, except if he wants to invest. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a problem you kind of want to have <laughs> out there. To turn the extent, the challenge you have yeah, is yeah, if your yeah. whole team and image is based on like this one player having you know 100,000 or 500,000 followers suddenly he goes then suddenly you know your your proposal to a brand becomes a lot less yes yeah yeah the risk factor yeah. there you know, putting all your eggs in one basket well, so to speak this um this goes rabbit do you work with inter um do you work internationally do you work outside of France and and the UK yeah, um, actually, most of the, our clients are outside of France and the UK, um, all over uh, South America, North America, East uh, Asia, yeah, everywhere. Can you talk a little bit about how it what it's like to do marketing in different cultures and in different languages that way? What what are some of the challenges, and how do you how do you you overcome them? Do you think? Yeah, so it, it would really depend on uh, 
it, a big part of it is which co uh, country and continent. For example, Asia is probably the most complicated one out of everywhere. Um, pretty much every country there speaks a different language, got a very different culture, all the way down to they've got different uh, entertainment websites. So like in some country, YouTube isn't even a thing there or Twitch is just unknown, unheard of. Um, and so it, it becomes a lot more of a challenge into how that works and how their influencers work. Uh, for example, in China, their influencers there are owned by the platform. You know, they've got contracts with the platform, whereas in the West, it's generally they they either work for themselves or they work through an agency or something. It's not Twitch that has that does all the sponsorships with the influencers. So you know, there's a lot of nuances that you need to know about and take care of. Of course, the language, uh, the cultural references. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of aspects we need to be aware of. Um, so it, yeah, it just really depends. And what we would need to do is to understand. Uh, you know, where the client wants to go to in terms of their, their marketing or, or the research they want us to do. And then we need to then understand that and be prepared for it. So we part of our, our research or consultancy would be we doing that. And sometimes we might bring in local partners depending on uh, the scale of the project. Yeah. R Roman, do you, have, do you have a different perspective or the same? No, for me, it's, uh, it's the exact. I think on that front, we are on the exact same perspective with Nick. Yep, yep. The other, the other thing I want to touch, I, I don't want to take too, too much of your time here, but I wanted to just get an, a feel for you guys because you guys uh, have more expertise than, than I do on the, the metaverse out there and metaverse and esports. And, you know, that could be, a, that could be a, probably a whole other podcast episode, if not more there but but if you could describe a little bit about what you see the role of the metaverse is in esports not gaming but esports and kind of where you see it it going let's start with you nick yeah this, i think you're right this could be a whole nother podcast because i think the first question is what is a metaverse you know, everyone describes the metaverse as something different. I mean, ultimately, the metaverse right now just doesn't exist. How, you know, it's actual definition. And so what a lot of people call a metaverse is actually a gaming experience, right? Or an esports gaming experience. And so um, I think when we say metaverse, we've just got to be a bit careful about what people actually mean because everyone's going to have a different idea about it. But I mean, ultimately, what we could have is a scenario whereby you have, let's say, an esports tournament within a, a virtual environment and people don't even need to go to a venue. They can just be there. They could be watching from their own point of view, interacting with the people left and right of them, potentially even shouting out and then maybe on a mainstream you can you know, hear the crowd noise and so on so that uh, but but that's you know hypotheticals at the moment uh, there's a lot of different ways it could go um, i think the whole conversation around the metaverse is still very much in its infancy however there is a lot of interest from a lot of different companies about how does that how's that going to work what's it going to look like how can we get involved with it and i think what you're seeing is a lot of companies are, are just kind of taking punts at the moment. You know, you see a lot of things with NFTs, um, 
whether it's giving them away for free as some kind of uh, an audience experience or, or selling them as a different kind of experience. So uh, I think it's still being developed and, and we'll see. But uh, I, I think, like I said, you know, need to find what does a company mean when they say the metaverse and then what can the esports community do to make intriguing uh, digital experiences or virtual experiences within it you know can you do like virtual meet and greets you know after a game that uh, your, your favorite player comes and starts greeting the people around the the, the stage of, of the virtual arena right there's all sorts of things that can happen how, how will people think will they think that's really cool will they not We'll, we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, Roman, what, what's your take on, the, on where, where we are with the metaverse? Well, I've got kind of the same one. We basically presented to a brand that we created a word called the metafad uh, because right now we are not near a metaverse. Well, if I have to rem- remind everybody what's the metaverse, the metaverse is basically another universe that is connected in with the real world and has a lot of connection between... Well, it, it needs to be seamless. And right now, you have Facebook with Meta and you have uh, potentially Google with their own project. And so it's it's multiverse. It's not meta because you can't go from meta to another universe with all your stuff from meta in that new universe. So it's not it's not a, a metaverse. It's it's a multiverse. It could be a fad. I don't. We don't think so. Uh, but we are also at the very beginning of it. And what it could bring to esports is potentially change the kind of game we play. Uh, in esports, or having uh, virtual events in a virtual world where people will be able to attend to without having to travel all around the world. I think we are so early in, in the beginning of the metaverse. Right now, can go uh, in multiple directions. I would say we are with the metaverse right now. We are like the internet in the late nineties. So, and it's basically leaving a crash right now, but it's not because it's crashing. It won't be something we can't live without in 20 years, but it will need a lot more innovations. And I just hope a big group like Facebook, well, like Meta, won't block the innovation that is needed within that space by trying to buy out everything and, and kill some projects before they, they go, they, they go out. So uh, I think it will be really interesting. The, the next five to ten years will tell us what's what's up with the metaverse. Yeah, yeah, and what what we can expect. But it still it it still needs a lot of innovation, especially for bringing something very different and very appealing for esports. Yeah, and to bring to bring brands <clears throat> into the into the the the. Um... The equation. Brands, I mean, I would you, say, you have to re- do a whole lot of explaining yeah. there. Yeah, I would say some brands, because of the FOMO, so the fear of missing out, they already invested a lot in something. If I was at the marketing department of those brands, I would have never, ever spent that amount of money inside 
inside this face. I would say not yet. And if I was the boss of those brands, I probably would have fired my marketing manager. <laughs> because when you buy a piece of land for 500k in a game, well, in a game, in a metaverse that is having 12 active users per day, I would just, yeah. Yeah, like right now you're seeing a lot of, it's like super early adopter stage. You know, people are spending a lot of money sometimes yeah, yeah. and not really knowing what they're getting or how it's going to work. And I think it needs to be shaken out. You know, if you follow the crypto space or the blockchain space, there, there's a lot of changes happening. A lot of, uh, I think a, a lot of the um, bad actors are being shaken out at the moment. And Hopefully there'll be another iteration or, you know, like the dot-com crash and the good companies survived those. Uh, we should hopefully see a bit of a shakeout. But I, I think one of the good things about esports is that in general with esports, I mean, you know, you're playing games on computers, right? So you're already at a, a technological kind of forefront there. So the fact that um, that's already the case bodes well because if, if if esports teams and players and organizers are looking already at the metaverse and think you know what what can we do how can we innovate and create these amazing experiences um f f within the space for these brands then uh, well for the audience and the brands as well then that gives them like a huge advantage right you know you already see various nft projects how viable they are well it's questionable you know people can argue about that all day but i think the fact that they're starting to do these things and explore them now it definitely bodes well yeah and it's also something interesting for because when i well i, I gave some marketing lessons in a esport business esport and gaming business school in, in france and what i showed them was the because uh, in Lyon, the football club was uh, on the stock market. So they had to publish their numbers every year. And I was showing them, look at how it's interesting it is. Because 90% of that football club revenue is coming from activities that not exist for an esports club. So uh, ticket selling every weekend. There's no ticket selling every weekend. So basically, it was. The metaverse could be that space where the, the esports clubs will have a space and will be able to monetize their audience in a way football club can monetize their audience. And then suddenly they won't rely only on investors or sponsors because it's impossible. Yes. So one of the things, uh, man, I, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Christian Bishop from Twitch talking here about, um, you're having different, you're moving away from sponsorship and, and have uh, from a from an influencer from a streamer standpoint to be able to get your revenue directly from the the, the viewer, the fan out there. So to figure out ways to yeah. do that, hey, yeah, you know, metaverse, huge huge topic, and I really like the way that you're describing. Yeah, this is like the the internet was in the, in the mid '90s <clears throat> for those of us who were old enough to remember what that what that was like, all the promise and and ups and downs. That, uh, that we went through. The last question I want to talk about, though, before we spend all day here, is uh, on the Olympics. We always ask people if the Olympics should include esports in their official program. So, do you guys have any feelings on that? Uh, do you want me? I can, I can, Nick, I can go first. You. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, that there's been a lot of talk about this, of course, and uh, there's, I completely understand the, the viewpoints of both camps, you know, 
yeah, it'd be fantastic because it would give you know, esports some legitimacy. On the other hand, you know, the Implix needs esports more than esports needs them, right? So I think that ultimately, you know, if the Olympics wants to stay relevant in the next 20 to 30 years, they they probably need to embrace esports. You know, they they announced that there's going to be an official esports uh, week. I think it is next year. Um, yes, and yes. the thing is that they're they're doing games that no one really cares about. Let's be honest, right? And okay, good start. Um, but how will that iterate? You know, will it actually go to the the games that that people you know like the tier one tier two even tier three games i mean will it go to them will it not who knows right i think it's it's still a bit early but um i i think at some point it, it will need to you know the olympics are seeing their audience getting older and older and older at some point they're gonna they're, they're gonna need to to get involved somehow some way and eventually they're gonna listen to somebody some consultancy company is gonna tell them look you know the other 10 have told you you need to get involved with esports. You should have done it 10 years ago. Let's do it now you know, before you lose all your audience. And, uh, and then so I think that, that inevitably they'll end up having to do it. Do you think the Commonwealth Games worked out well with their esports program recently? Um, I think it's good that it was included in the Commonwealth Games. Um, for what I understand, apparently it was executed relatively well, but there were some hiccups. Um, but I think the the if I can talk about negative side, like no one really knew about it. I I, I didn't even know what games. Well, I, I knew Rocket League was being played. I didn't know when, where, what teams. There was just nothing, no marketing about it. And um, I think that's a problem. If I was to ask anybody that I know, hey, did you catch the the Commonwealth, the you know, esports in the Commonwealth Games? I'd be like, what? Yeah, they they wouldn't know about it, and I think this is where we need to, you know, great, it was in it. I think they said they're not going to put it in next time, so I I I don't know what's going to happen there. But if they do, then I think there needs to be a bigger drive, and this this goes in general actually for tournaments and events that happen. Is it's not just about the event itself, right? Because the event itself does not drive viewership by itself. It it needs to be marketed well, and this is where they missed out. You know, what was it even advertised? Did the, the did we get the the Commonwealth Twitter account or Facebook accounts to to advertise it? If not, why not? Um, I know on TV it was put on some digital channel that that no one knows, right? Um, so so I, I think there needs to be a lot more work done in that department. And what Rome was saying before about we need more marketers within the esports space but yeah we need marketers we need we need everybody we need more professionals who understand that can't just do like an event by itself and hope it goes well you know you need a lot of infrastructure around it you need to have the strategy you need to have the marketing side then you need yeah good production you need the event to go well you need logistics you need everything and so we need those people to get involved in the space one of the things that i always think of with the olympics is that um they're really, really good at marketing. I mean, they've, they've done, you know, they're like, <clears throat> they rank up there with NASCAR, you know, as far as being able to to create um, uh, an audience for things. So they're, they're really, really good. But they would definitely need to be in, that, that expertise would need to be tapped into. And I, I, I think you're right. They are things. very good at marketing. I mean, the Olympics, well, the open ceremony gets how many billions of people watching it? I, I don't remember, but it's multiple, right? 
Yeah, and how many yes. how many events in the world ever do that? Maybe the World Cup that's happening now. I'm struggling to think of anything else. Oh, not yeah. maybe. Yeah, not maybe. Football. Yeah. The- yeah, yeah. Um, you know, may, maybe when our, our monarch passed away, sadly, I heard there was billions of people watching that, but you know, that doesn't happen that often. But the, the, the thing is that, okay, there's a level marketing the Olympics does, but then it's like, uh, how much marketing, how much of that marketing power do they put towards esports? I think that's the key thing. You right. know, it's like with the Commonwealth yes. Games, they do a good job at marketing, but how much of their marketing power was towards esports and to me it felt like very very little and i think yeah. we no yeah. that's that, 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 so so, so that's roman, roman what's, what's your take on the olympics should they be should uh... me i've got one big issue with the olympics when i say winter sports what do you think skiing what's the first image skiing. okay the second one ice skating okay snow cold so they are trying to do so yeah, no no but i completely agree with you okay when it comes to esports, they are trying to to do something on curling only. <laughs> Why? Why do you embrace esports with with going for the curling equivalent of esports, and you do not use ski or snowboarding you're, 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 or ice skating? You're joking, aren't you? Oh no, no. The Olympics with esports right now, they are going for the curling equivalent of winter sports in esports they go for games that are completely irrelevant to the gaming community because they are small tiny games played by 10,000 people in the whole world they should so i also understand it's not only their fault okay because the problem with esports is gaming ips are ips yes. football is not an ip ski is not an IP. So it's a battle between private companies owning those IPs, like Riot Games with League of Legends. I'm pretty sure they will be hardcore on the negotiation with the Olympic Committee to have their game on the Olympics. And the Olympics, they don't like to share money. But they need to sit on a table and say, okay, those are IPs. Maybe there is a discussion possible saying, if your game gets selected for the Olympics, you have to lose 50% of the rights on the IP specifically for the Olympics because the revenue, we, we, we can't pay you to use your game. It's a complicated situation. So it's not only the Olympic Committee fault, but sometimes the they say, well, we won't use League of Legends because uh, o- Olympics are about sports, so let's go for a sports game. Yeah, but if it's a sports game played by nobody, <laughs> what's the point? You, it's, it's, um, it's like, a, let's have an event on a game played by nobody and then complain because the audience is not good enough. Yeah, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. You went for the game that has no audience from the beginning and it's not because you put them at the Olympics, people will watch it. People watch. And and I would say in terms of viewership, even if FIFA, the football game, is the most sold game in the world, nobody wants to watch a FIFA, a FIFA game competition. Why? Because I can watch football on Monday. I can watch the Premier League on Monday. The, the, the Champions League on, 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 on Tuesday. The Champions League on Wednesday. The UEFA 
Europa League on, on Thursday, the Ligue 1 on Friday, the Ligue 1 on Sunday, and the Ligue 1 on, on, uh, on Saturday. So I can watch football whenever I want. Why would I watch two guys imitating football while I can actually watch the real sport? Games that are appealing in esports are games that reproduce, reproduce something that is not possible in real life. Counter-Strike, yes, they are terrorists and anti-terrorists. Obviously, not that much. And uh, we don't watch the police fighting <laughs> against the terrorists. So it's something that is appealing to imagination. League of Legends appealing to imagination. You don't have magic powers. There is n nothing, nothing like it. So it needs to be completely different than a sport because if it's a sport, it's, if it's imitating a sport, I prefer watching the real sport. I'm a football fan. I like to watch football. I watch kind pretty much all the match of the World Cup. I, I'm watching. Did you watch? Did you watch the, the the US and Let, let's not talk Lane? about that one. Let's yeah, I was. <laughs> I was a bit, so I was a bit disappointed, but, but, but there is one thing. USA, they were really bad at soccer. I will use the term soccer for them, but I think it's been 10, 15 years. They are getting way better. So yes, England, England should have won by a large score against them, but I think it's, um, uh, It's not that bad. I mean, the yeah, USA we, we, was... We, we, have, USA right. is not it such was... a bad... Yeah, they're but, punching above their weight. Yeah. The they're, they're doing better. And, and, they, and they are not yeah. that bad. They, they should have beat Wales, though. Yeah, they missed... That was too bad there. I mean, we're, we're dating this podcast <laughs> yeah. here because we're not... We're, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, because I think they play uh, tomorrow. It's when they play Iran. Yeah. And so yeah. that will that will determine things. But no... Uh, It's interesting from from um, a viewpoint of what's what's interesting here in the U.S. because the the pride band. I don't know how many times ago the uh, World Cup was here in the U.S. and it just never really took. I mean, people were interested, but it was it you know they were never able to develop anything from it. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next time when it's in uh, mm. here in North America. So. Um, Yeah. yeah. Hey, 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 guys. No, I could just keep talking here, and I don't, I don't want to take take the whole day. But I really do appreciate you uh, coming on and spending a little bit of time talking about Gosu Rabbit, talking about uh, your, your take on where esports is. Where's Where's the best people? Where's the best place for people to find you guys online? Nick? Uh, so me, it's uh, probably LinkedIn. Um, I can probably give you my. Uh, My LinkedIn address, but uh, I think it's under. Okay, no, we'll, we'll yeah. put it in. The, no, we'll yeah. put that. We'll put it in the in the show uh, notes. But there. Also, How about our, you, Roman? our website goes to rabbit.com. It's the same. We'll put that in there too. And for me, it's the same LinkedIn or our website. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's great. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks again, Ro again, Roman, for taking some time here. Thank you very much for having us, Tom. Really Thank appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Th thanks for listening. This is the Gamers Change Live season. G Gamers Change Live podcast season two. Follow, follow the money. Play games, create jobs, change lives. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. 
You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.